Being quarantined in our homes, away from many, if not all, of our loved ones, is not a thing to celebrate. But it does afford us, despite real fears and discomfort, a great deal of time for meditation and reflection. Hopefully, God and Other Delicacies can be one of the ways in which you find a sliver of optimism in your day and the welcome warmth of connecting deeply with someone you've just met for the first time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Dan Satchoff to the show. Dan is a professional television film actor and ventriloquist. His many credits include roles in Prison Break, The Closer, Scrubs, Blackish, and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, to name a handful. I met Dan when he reached out to me to be a guest on his podcast called Christianese, which he runs with his friend and Christian pastor, Jared Burkholder. We share similar goals on our shows of creating open environments for diverse spiritual discussion. And although we found places of disagreement, it was a fruitful and friendly conversation where I know I walked away thankful for the opportunity to speak freely with them both. For those listeners interested in hearing my Christianese episode, there is a link to it in the description, as well as a link on my website. Now, without further ado, welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, sir. <laughs> that is that man. What a gosh! You, you need a gig in PR is what you need. Holy well, smokes. yeah. Well, maybe that I don't makes know. it sound like I've really done something. Nick. <laughs> you know, Dan, I am loving this run. You have been like one of three people, nearly in a row, who've been like, "Thank you for that." That made me feel like I've achieved something in my life. You have, you have. Uh, well, we we also were talking about it off mic that he yeah. has. He's you know he's he's raising a family. He's been in this business a long time. Um, you have three children we talked three about. Three kids. So yes. you have a lot to support and take care of. You have responsibilities. You are an adult. That's true. We've got two almost, one, one is ready to fly, one's getting ready to fly, and one we got for a couple more years. Now, yeah, so. yeah, wow. It's getting wow. close. It's, a, it's an interesting time. I can only yeah. imagine. We will get into that type of stuff. Right. I wanted to mention briefly, we also talked about this off mic. We have a good friend in common in Dave Stores. Dave Stores. And you did a show called Fameless, which yes. is a prank show. Yeah. And Dave does that in a really hilarious and excellent way. And I imagine you are the same. And you were telling me that you have quite a bit of experience doing it. Yeah. You know, Hidden Camera has been great for me. You and I were talking and sometimes, you know, in this this business, you end up looking for some some things that are kind of go-tos because it, it's it's tough. It's like any any business, but this has unique challenges, certainly. And right, so, yeah. Fit with certain characteristics that are yes. specific to each performer, and some performers right. would not maybe do well in the environment, and right. you know how to succeed in the environment. Yeah, so I really enjoy it, and I love working with people like Dave Stores. Dave and I did a couple shows together. We did one for ABC Family. I can't remember what it's called now, but it was a crazy prank show, and that's where I met him as a performer, and he's a writer, too. And so then he he brought me into Fameless, and uh, it was just, it's a blast. And the thing I like about that is it's kind of, we don't have that experience as actors anymore where you're working without a net like they did in the 50s, and it's kinescope, and it's got to be live, and that's it oh, for the right. most part. And this is, that's pretty much the way it is. You get one pass, and if depending on how many marks you have lined up, if it goes south, there's a lot riding on it, especially if it's a big prank. Like, you know, Dave does a lot of the giant giant prank things where you got explosions and you got stuff going on. And man, if it goes south, you feel horrible. So that challenge is great. And also, like, I'm sure you have this when you're doing a scene with somebody, it's in the eyes. So if you guys are connecting and you're doing a scene, 
you can tell a lot by, wow, this person's given me a lot here in, in prank. You can always tell if somebody's buying it or not by their eyes. Yeah, And right. if they, you can always tell, oh, they're not buying this, and then what do I do? So, yeah, it's a blast. Yeah, that's got to be a real, uh, what a tightrope. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. It, like you said, it's live. It has the theater aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, right. Uh, especially the fact that you really are trying to keep someone... <laughs> That doesn't know they're in on a game. Right. What I've never been in that environment. I don't know how yeah, well yeah, I would yeah. do. I, it seems like it could be fun. Oh, it's. I it's bet a it's a real thrill. What did you have for breakfast this morning? This is one of my big hooks. You know what? I'm into a new thing, Nick. My big thing now is overnight oats. Okay, this is crazy because yeah. a yeah. friend of mine, uh, Robert Baker, mm-hmm. just a couple of episodes before yours is going to release. Okay just told me about, for the first time, overnight oats. What is it with overnight oats? Talk Dude. to me about what you love about okay, it. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm always, I am constantly dieting. Because as an actor, I always <laughs> want to look good. You do look good. That means Thank the you, diets- man. You're very kind. The diets are working. You're so nice to the old man. Uh, <laughs> look, here's the thing. So I went on Weight Watchers years ago when my kids were little. And for me, it's been a good thing because just tell me the points. I don't know how to diet. Tell me how many points I have today, and I'll do that. So I'm always looking through my Weight Watchers app, like what stuff I can mix it up and have something that'll stay with me right so i don't get hungry and then overeat so i came up randomly these recipes overnight oats to make your own because i priced them at the store and it's like five thousand dollars for a quarter (laughs) ounce of overnight oats from quaker it's like (laughs) that's a deal and i'm an actor i gotta be on a budget so i found this recipe and i started making my own and it's phenomenal so it's basically just a scoop of the raw oats and then like i use coconut milk unsweetened this is, he uses coconut, coconut milk. milk yeah you guys have found something it's fantastic and then you put i put two scoops of this uh a powdered peanut butter okay in there and then uh some some banana and it's like for, for those of you at home it's weight watchers five points and then you put it in the in the fridge overnight and it's fantastic well, I'm going to try it because I was excited <laughs> when Baker told me about it. I am now something, because I eat a lot of oats. He uses steel cut oats. Yes, I do too. You do? Yes. So yeah. I, I, I have steel cut oats. I Dude. like steel cut oats. Because the nutty flavor of the steel cut, you will dig it even more. If you and like overnight oats or steel I want, cut oats. I mean, I like, I, I don't, I'm going to just do it now. You're going gonna to go out it. on a limb. Can you, what, we are so edgy, Nick. It's unbelievable. I feel like it's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing quite... Well, you know, Steven Tyler <laughs> sang a song about living on the edge. That's right. And that's how I felt ever since I heard that song. I was like, he, he always wrote that song about me. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? When did that happen for you? Okay, as a little kid, my earliest memories were of my mom talking to me about Jesus. And she she had a nominal understanding of her faith, but she had a real, true, genuine a grain of faith from the time she was a little girl. Now, she didn't know all the implications of that. Luckily, as her life went on, we had time to explore that because I came to faith really later in my life. But anyway, my first recollection was, was oh, Jesus. And then I remember my mom taught me the Lord's Prayer. So I would pray that prayer. And uh, I don't know why I did. It gave me a sense of comfort. I really didn't put together exactly what all that meant. I think early on in my life, for the until I was in my 30s, my idea of faith was if I'm good enough and do the right things, then you go to heaven. Mm. That was it. And I was like, okay, I got to always be good enough. So gradually, you know, as you meet people in life, I had kids in the neighborhood who were in the good news club. So they were What's like... What's that? So it's a it's a Christian thing for, for littler kids, and they, they, they bring you over and they have... Uh, 
they have a party or they have a magician, like this one happened to have a gospel magician. I do magic as well, so they had me at magician. I was like, all right, great. So it, they'll do parables and things like that with magic, and then uh, they basically give you the gospel at some point. During that, it's a way to kind of cultivate faith in younger kids. And I remember what I loved about this guy, this magician who was who was doing this, is that he was... He was really cool and self-effacing. He wasn't. He didn't take himself too seriously. And I wanted an autograph at the end because mm. I was into magic. So I gave him a picture. He had one of the little flyers with his picture on it. And as he was signing it and talking to me about tricks that I did and stuff, he completely defaced himself and put a mustache on himself. And How so I was funny. like, and it was, just, and I still have that to this day because it meant a lot because he really took the time to just be a person and he wasn't trying to give me the hard sell on Jesus or anything. He, yeah, he was. It was that moment of interaction with a kid who liked magic and he didn't try to do any more than just have a, a moment of human interaction with me. And I appreciated that. Yeah, that's really But then cool. cut to later on in my life, and uh, I, I pretty much, you know, I would if you would have asked me when I was in college, I would have said, yeah, I'm a Christian. No idea really what yeah. that meant. Okay, before we yeah. cut too far ahead, a yeah. few questions. Yeah. One, you only mentioned your mother. Yep. So did you... Was your dad in your life as a young my man? My dad was around, and I have uh, had a great relationship with my dad. Love my dad. My dad and I never had those conversations. Later in life, we did. But early on, my dad was a small businessman, so he had a car business. He was in the used car business, which I worked at a lot. Oh, so wow. if you want to buy my Prius afterwards, Nick, <laughs> I will close you on <laughs> yeah. it. ABC, always be closing. I, I <laughs> <laughs> and no, but it, so it was, I had a great relationship with my dad. But, but in terms of Jesus, we never really had those conversations early on. And he was working all the time. So as a small businessman with the car lot. I saw my dad. He was home every night. But when I, I remember those formative first five years, those kind of conversations were had with my mom because dad was kind of fun and mom was fun too, but it just for whatever reason. And also he, I don't think he really ever thought that way. He had been, let's see, he's Bulgarian. And I think it was uh, it was a form of Catholicism. What would it be? Russian Orthodox. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Eastern Orthodox, Russian yeah, Orthodox. So he was Russian Orthodox. So he had had a bad experience early on. When you say Bulgarian, was he born in Bulgaria? His parents were. His mom was born in Italy. But his dad, uh, who I never knew, Grandpa Steve, he was Bulgarian. Oh. But my dad had a real bad experience early on with a with a priest who, I guess the, the thing they used to make him kiss the ring or something. Oh, my and gosh. Wow. So it was I mean, that, I've heard of that. Yeah, it was that and wow. some other things that were just... You know, look, not to defame anybody's religion, but it was creepy to my dad. He didn't like it, and so he was not particularly religious at that time. So that's why I neglected to mention that just in terms of Jesus. No, it was connected good. to my mom. Yeah. Your mom, when you say that she had a kind of nominal understanding, mm -hmm. what church was she in? Or was she in a church? So she wasn't in a church. She grew up in Goodland, Kansas. There was churches around there, and she went to church as a little girl. I don't know what the message was there. I think there was a lot of hellfire and brimstone in the little town where she was in. That stuck with her. I remember distinctly my mom didn't like that. Mm -hmm. She would talk to me about that as a kid. When I had a certain understanding of faith, she would say, you know what I don't like about the Old Testament is there's a lot of brutality, there's a lot of killing. She was a big animal lover, as am I. She was like, you know, the things that would happen to animals and the sacrifices and the sacrificial system, she didn't like that stuff and it sat wrong. But what she knew is the New Testament and love. So to her, the two books were completely separate. Mm. We'll go on to this later. I later was able to connect it. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's one, it's one story. From the Christian perspective. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know, of course. But she and I tried to attend church growing up, but we went to uh, nowhere where we really ever got any really great teaching, and I think it was just kind of go because we think we should go, and it'll make you a better person if you go to church. And we did that for a while and then would fall away from somewhere because it wasn't particularly stimulating. I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, you go just to go, and it's, I checked off the box, I went to church For sure. Today. 
and you're not really getting anything out of it. It's like, why are we doing this? Right. You know, so that did you have siblings? No, I'm an only child. You're an only child. Yeah. That's so interesting to me. I have one son and I come from a family of five and you have three. You're an only child, but have three. Did you always know you wanted more children? I absolutely did. My, my dad died in 1999. And I remember when he died, it was just me and my mom. And my, the thought crossed my, my mind that, okay, now remembering all of the stuff that happened with the three of us is all up to me. Mm. And someday my mom's going to be gone, and so I'm going to be the only one. And I thought, gosh, if I had brothers and sisters, and look, this is overly romanticizing because some people hate their siblings. For sure. But I thought, I really want to have, I want to have more, and hopefully they will, not that everything will be perfect, but they'll get along enough that they will keep the memories and have that to be like, oh, you remember this time or that time? Because there is a certain amount of, of a lonely factor to it once, you know, my mom died two years ago. So now it is just me, and I, I'm okay with it, but like, yeah, I would have loved to have had siblings. I think yeah. that would have been great. So you you had a positive experience sharing a somewhat rudimentary relationship with Jesus as a young child in mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a relationship that you shared with your mother. It was something that you did together. Right. And over the years, it sounds like you evolved in your faith together. Was it you taking the lead on that at a certain point, or did your mother start to get more deeply into it? And then you you mentioned that you didn't really come back to the faith until you were, or in a deeper way, until you were thirty or so. Yeah, it was it was not until I met uh, my wife uh, when I when we were dating. She asked me a really interesting question on one of our first dates. She said, if somebody murders somebody, because she asked me at first, but when we started, hey, are you a Christian? Because she was a Christian. I said, yeah, I am. Of course I am. No idea really what that meant, but I hadn't thought very deeply about it. She's like, okay, at a date one night, she was like, if somebody kills somebody else, can they go to heaven? I was like, absolutely not. There's no way. No, because they've killed somebody. That's... That's out of the realm of possibility, not taking into the account of forgiveness or sacrifice or anything that goes along with Christianity. But it got me to thinking. And she challenged me on some things, and we got to thinking about some things. So it was much later in life that I began to connect those dots. My experience as a, as a younger kid, like I never really got deeply into it uh, until that time, uh, and my mom didn't either. But that was still there. Uh, my mom had a series of things that she didn't handle well in her life. My mom was an addict. She was addicted to prescription meds from the time I was a, a real little kid. Now, she still could function. And w- saying all this, I'm not, I, I, I loved my mom. And so, like, we actually ended up. Man, the journey, we'll get into this, but the journey was great, and there was redemption at the end, and there was forgiveness, and there was peace. But like, I remember as a kid praying a lot. My prayers were of penitence or petition saying, Lord, fix my mom. Hmm. Get my mom well. Hmm. And my dad and I went back and forth because, you know, I don't know, anybody who's dealt with addiction knows that it's insidious and that you're not sure my mom always claimed, well, I have pain. And she'd had... She'd had some car accidents. She's had some things happen in her life, but my mom's pain was emotional, as with many addicts. She'd lost her parents consecutively. Um, Her sister died of cancer. She had a lot of those things, and my mom had no tools in the toolkit to deal with that loss. Hmm. And at my mom's time in the 70s and when I was a little kid, uh, Valium was the thing. Hmm. So it started that way, and I'm able to connect this now as I look back, and I've done that with the help of other family members. But as the escape when she lost her parents, especially in her sister, my Aunt Cherry, she turned to Valium. And that became every other thing that came down the pike, whatever it was. And at the very end, you know, it was Norco and it was Oxycontin and it was fentanyl. It was whatever. Because it 
I, I came to realize it made her feel better in her own skin for two minutes. And I didn't, I thought she was something she was doing to me. And it wasn't anything she was doing to me. She was, she was trying to medicate herself and make things better. But anyway, the point of that is I, I used to pray a lot, but the prayer was always asking God for something. If you just, if you're my genie and I rub the lamp and you come out and you make everything okay, then that's how it works, right? Because I've been good all day. Right. You know? And so that was kind of my, my understanding. Wow. Of that well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I am really interested in hearing more about that. I mean, that yeah. sounds like there's a lot there as you yeah. referenced. Um, yeah, yeah. And honestly, this is a great place to take our first break and we'll just start there. Fantastic. On the, on the way back. So, uh, all right, everybody, back with Dan in a second. Hey, everybody, we're back with Dan. There's a lot of really beautiful stuff that just got opened up. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. But one thing that Dan was telling me off mic was that there was a very major event in his life in high school. And please talk more about it right now. Absolutely. So um, I was a senior in high school, and my dad called me. He left a message at the office at that time. It's hard for, to remember a time before cell phones. Uh, right. But So they left a message at the office saying, hey, your dad wants you to come right home after school. And I was like, okay. So I drove home, and I got home, and my dad was on his knees in the bathroom, and he was unable to stand up. And I said, Pop, what's going on? And he said, I'm dizzy. I can't, I'm having a hard time speaking. So I thought, okay, he's having a stroke. Wow. And my mom was at work. She was working as a, uh, a social worker at the time at a hospital, St. Anthony's Hospital in, in Denver. And so I was concerned, understandably, and helped get Dad to the doctor. And through a series of events, we found out at that time we thought he had MS. Turns out that isn't the case, but for many years, that's what we thought it was. So periodically, that was a scary thing, but Dad recovered from that. But he would have times where this would return a little bit. So he'd have numbness, he'd have double vision, he'd have all kinds of things happen. And we were like, what's going on neurologically? Is it circulatory? What is this? And I remember thinking at that time, because I, I loved my dad, we were so, I know I've, for whatever reason, this has gone down the path of talking about my mom, but my dad and I were super close. And my dad was so supportive, you know, as a performer, there's nothing worse. I know so many people who don't go into the business because their parents refuse to support them in it. I mean, I had I went to Emerson College and I had so many kids who wanted to pursue careers as performers and had to do it secretly because if their folks found out, they would pull them out of school. So for me, my dad was my biggest supporter. If I was in a play out here or if I was on TV or whatever, he would tell all his friends at the car lot and he would he was such a, a great guy and lots of fun, Italian guy, always cooking. We, we were, I had a joke with him. We were either, it was kind of like the movie Goodfellas. We were either talking about what we just ate, what we were currently having, or we're going to have in an hour. <laughs> yeah, good. So, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, I remember thinking, gosh, what's that? That's where the where where the existential ideas of like, what happens when you die? What happens mm. if I lose dad? What am I going to do if dad dies? What happens to us when we die? All those kind of thoughts were introduced, and I I remember thinking, wow, what uh, what is all that? What does all that mean? And then when I was a senior in college, um, my dad had another incident where I was in Boston and he was in Denver and my mom called me and said, your dad's in the hospital. And he had had another one of these spells where they didn't know what was going on. 
And at that time, we thought maybe he wasn't going to make it. And he had told my mom, whatever he does, I want him to finish school. Mm. And, you know, because uh, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go back home. And he insisted, he said, no, I would be really, really angry if that was the case. I want him to finish regardless of what happens here. Turns out he did get better, but it took many months. And I remember sitting with dad in the parking lot at Target as he was getting better. He still couldn't drive, but he was getting much better. And he said to me, he said, uh, you know, I didn't used to think about God, but I know God exists now. He has allowed me to get better, to see you graduate, to all these things. And, and I, I remember it was just, it was a powerful moment where I got to thinking, wow, my dad, because we had never had those conversations. Wow. like, wow, dad... For dad to say that, because he was of a certain generation, my dad was born in 1927, so he, that was not something you discussed. You really didn't talk about religion, and especially as a guy, like you didn't, you didn't cry, you didn't, you know what I mean? Yes, it was just, yes, it yes. Was very, he was very stoic that way, and, I, and we, he was having a real, he let the veil down, was having a real serious conversation about that, but in a way that was, he was so grateful for the extra time that he got. So I remember that had, that had an impact, and I was thinking, you know, gosh, I... I would like to know more about this, but I was, you know, I was young, and uh, I didn't, I didn't pursue any more knowledge about God, up, to, you know, at that at that time. So I just continued with my life and moved to L.A. and <laughs> I'm going to be an actor, yay! Yeah, well, I mean, you know? but yeah, I mean, you can't hard to blame you, right? You're young, yeah. you have a lot of other things to think about, but clearly sure. it was he made it impressionable on you. It sounds like it deepened your relationship with him continually. How much longer oh, yeah. did he? So live my in dad your life? lived until I was thirty three. My okay, dad died so, when I was thirty. So we had a lot of great time, and he came out here periodically. He saw me. I did a. I understudied at the Pasadena Playhouse was one of the first gigs I ever got that was like a decent job out here. And as you know, theater jobs that are decent are hard to come by in Los Angeles. Yes, so yes. I was an understudy, and I ended up going on for two different parts. And he flew out for one of the times I went on covering. How cool! And so we we had you know just we had really great experiences. And every time I was on a lot somewhere, if I was at Radford and I knew they'd shot Gunsmoke somewhere, I would shoot him a picture of, you know, a still. He lived vicariously through that. So we had a great a great relationship. And then he and I also, you know, we started exploring some spiritual things in that we were always still continually worried about my mom because my mom's addiction continued through that. And my dad would always feel guilty because he would think, well, is is this a real thing? Does she really have pain or does she not? And we would go back and forth on all those kind of things. And she always seemed, it seems from the way you talk about it, that it, she always seemed to kind of hang on the edge. It doesn't sound, maybe I'm wrong about this, but how many times did she go over the edge and you'd find her despondent? Yeah, a few times. times. There was a time when I was younger, I remember I think I was probably in, ah, I was probably 10 or 11 and I came back to the back bedroom and found my mom just unresponsive. Wow. And she had uh, accidentally overdosed on something that had also given her an allergic reaction. So she was puffed up. And I remember, so I ran and got my dad and then our neighbors came over and they got her to the fire department and they revived her. But that wow. was, you know, but it was one of those things where you'd think, well, surely that's the time when, you know, you ring the alarms, but it's just, that's, that's not how it goes. I mean, wow. anybody who's dealt with it, in their, I mean, that's one of the things you know. I've done twelve step. I've done all kinds of stuff to try to to try to figure some of these things out. It's insidious the the way it goes, but it's all good because it adds up to thinking about you know whether it's mortality with my dad or you know addiction with my mom. What what is the greater meaning and 
what is there besides just this? Because there has to be, you know, this quest for meaning. Everybody, whether they know it or not, is on a quest for meaning and mm-hmm. has a worldview and is trying to figure that stuff out. And that's why I so appreciate these conversations because that's, I think, where the richness of life is, not in the, and, and you and I live in a town that's filled with surface conversations. Yes. If you choose to do that. And yes. once in a while, that's fun too. Yeah, you can't have this conversation all day, every day. <laughs> right, because <laughs> then we'll be swinging from a noose. Hey, did you see Nick? No, I haven't seen him in days. He loved connecting to people. Yeah, but there's uh, a stink coming out of the studio, so I have a feeling there's a problem. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. I mean, you, you need some of that in your life, and you can't yeah. do this with everyone, but it is important, and you and yeah. I have met each other simply by having a desire and creating podcasts where we want to have this in our lives. Right. And I have a weekly place now where I get to listen to someone tell me a really intimate story about their life and what meaning has been revealed to them and the way it's been revealed to them. And I do, I, I have now started essentially realizing how important it's become to me. And I do love it. And I'm, I love that you're being so open and generous and sharing about it. So you had a deep love for your mother, but you also, it seems like the kinship was with your father. Mm -hmm. Is that right? It changed. So early on, because my mom was around so much when I was younger, my primary kind of relationship, I guess, was probably with my mom, although I always loved my dad. There was never contention there. Right. But but then it changed because as mom's addiction grew and got worse, um, she was unable to participate in a lot of things as much. Like, for instance, when I moved to Los Angeles, my mom almost never traveled out here because she was unable to. She didn't feel well. She, you know, and and so then gradually my dad picked up the slack for that and our relationship strengthened. And then when I lost my dad, it was just my mom. And that wow. was, that presented difficulties trying to get her out here from Colorado to care for her as she got older and to manage all those kind of issues and ultimately realizing after a trip to rehab that I can't fix my mom and this may be the way my mom is for the rest of her life, but learning to let go of again, feeling like she's doing that to me. What age are you when that realization happens? That happened to me probably when I was, I was probably, I was probably 40. And you'd lost your father when you were 33? Yep, when I was 33, yeah. And you'd met your wife at 30? Met my wife when I was 20, 28, probably 20, no, 26. It was crazy. She was on Broadway, and so we were married for five years before we had kids. Oh, wow. So that's what we did long distance that way. But anyway, after meeting my wife, getting into a Bible study with my brother-in-law, I started understanding more about my faith in that it wasn't how good I am that negated the, the need for Messiah, for a Savior. If it was just about me being good enough, there's no need for a Savior. So mm. once I started connecting that... Maybe more information than you want to know. No, but, no, no, no. But we were this go, is we, the information. We started in the book of Galatians in in the Bible, and and I I couldn't get my head around it for several weeks, where I was just like, wait a minute, but you're saying it's not about me being good enough, and I couldn't I couldn't really reconcile that, and I didn't like the idea of sin, and I didn't, you know, a lot of those things just were foreign things to me, and I didn't I didn't like them. But the more I studied it, all of a sudden the lights came on. I was like, oh wait a minute, you're saying that somebody else has paid this price. For me, and then now, you know, you could easily then go to what I had a concern with is, does that allow me to live any way I want? And just because that price has been paid, then I can go out and do whatever I want. Now, anyway, through a complex series of of, of studies, I, I came to understand for me that because of Christ's sacrifice, that gave me the ability to forgive my mom because, because I'm much forgiven, I could forgive. And 
over a period of time, I was able to forgive my mom and to understand that she wasn't doing it to me. And once I was able to let go of that, that's when we had breakthroughs in terms of our relationship just blossomed. Am I right that your wife was more devout? Absolutely. And had a deep relationship to Christianity when you met her. She did, but she was. But what I loved about her is, I always said I would never marry an actress, and she was so cool and so low maintenance, and also didn't hit me over the head with the fact that I didn't. I was very biblically illiterate and everything, and it was it was just an authentic relation. I mean, we had a great relationship, but that was that be, became part of it. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to save you and fix you, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and that because that I wouldn't have responded well to that, and I don't. I try not to be that way with other people, even though I guess my faith would dictate that I would share with other people, but I don't I don't want to hammer them with the gospel gun all the time and be like, come on, you got to believe this, you know? Cause yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing to talk about. I mean, yeah. and I would love to talk more about that if that, yeah. if that comes up in the conversation. Sure, cool. sure, sure. But you have two things happening. One, the deeper thing, obviously, that you've referenced now a couple of times is this feeling that you weren't good enough for God to fix your mom for you. Right. Yeah. And what you're and what you're saying is you became old enough and and began to think enough about it and the way you were able to understand the sort of release or joy of Jesus coming into your life is that it was never going to be about that. Mm-hmm. It's about that Jesus having died on the cross for your sin, our sins, mm-hmm. you know, is the way you would say it. It's essentially that Jesus has done that in your pure desire to be good enough, your struggle to be your best right. is enough. But that doesn't solve the problem of no one fixing your mom. Right. right. How did you start to process that part? Yeah, that was, you know, that was the thing as I was able to kind of just look at that and say, okay, in the larger scheme, uh, what do I want from my mom? And ultimately, I didn't know if mom would ever be able to stop using necessarily, because as you get older, then you do have real pain. She had osteoporosis. She had a million things going on. So it became apparent after a while, I could feel her when I would pick her up out of her wheelchair to go to the doctors. I'm like, I could hear her bones rubbing against each other. I was mm. like, that can't be pleasant. Right. So maybe a fentanyl patch here and there. <laughs> if that makes her comfortable, that's great. But then it became about, because my mom would say, you know, uh, why is God letting me live? You know, wow. I, I want to die. She would say stuff like that to me all the time. And as I understood my faith more, and this is a regret that I had with my dad, because when my dad died, I was just starting to understand some. And we'd had some good conversations, but I would have loved to have been able to have more of those. As I understood, well, I, I soon began to realize the reason God allowed my mom to live 18 years past my dad was that he knew I was going to be equipped to have those conversations with my mom. Mm-hmm. And as we had those and worked through things, I had such a gift knowing that I will see her again. And because of her understanding of the gospel and understanding that she is... she And, I, and at, when she passed, the, the thought that she's somewhere with no more tears and no more pain um, is, is such a huge... It gives me such a huge sense of peace. Mm. That became a, a great opportunity to sit with my mom and say, okay, and we went through the Bible and talked about things, and I, I explained to her, I said, you know, as a kid, I never understood that these th- two things were connected, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it's all the story of showing who Messiah was going to be in the first part, and then showing who he was and proved to be, you know, from my perspective, in the end, 
And it confirmed that that basic grain of faith that my mom had, and it blossomed and grew from there. Like, my mom was much like me. She didn't like the idea of sin. She didn't like the idea of, like, well, what do you mean everything's broken? We're all broken, and well, I'm not a sinner. I do, I'm do. i a good person and everything. And I was like, oh. it's not saying that, you know, and I'm, I would have to tell her, like, you don't have to be a Christian to be a good person. I know plenty of people who are atheists, agnostics, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, who are good people. I would never say that they're not good people. So I got her away from that thinking. I was just saying, if you're a Christian, and then the whole idea of that is that you're trusting Jesus because he has done something that we can't do ourselves. The great benefits of that is eternal life. And as I talked through that with her, it gave her a sense of peace because as she faced the end, she was able to be like, oh, okay, and kind of let go of the fear of death. Not that we're all going to be fearless in death. You know, I know plenty of theologians and people who've talked, R.C. Sproul used to talk all the time about, yeah, I, I, I know where I'm going to go, but I'm not stoked at the prospect of, you know, <laughs> with emphysema, what, what are those moments in between going to be like? There's, that, that's going to happen. But with my mom, I was able to do that. And the gift that I talked about that I got from her, two weeks before she died, she had to go to the hospital and they gave her Narcan because she got to the hospital before I did in the ambulance. So Narcan is a drug that wipes all of the narcotics out of your system because they were trying to get a baseline. She had pneumonia, but they didn't know what was going on, whether she was having a reaction to the medicine, and I wasn't there to tell them. I got there shortly afterwards. Well, at 91, when you have Narcan and everything stripped out, you go into detox immediately. So she was shaking, plus she was battling the pneumonia, and my wife and I were there, and she grabbed our hands. And she wanted to pray with us, so we prayed the 23rd Psalm, and then she started singing her favorite song, and I remember her singing as a, when I was a kid all the time, is Jesus Loves Me. Mm. And she started singing that song, and in that moment I was like, whatever happens, if mom goes now, if she goes in the future, I know where she's going to be. And it gave me a huge sense of peace and comfort because mom had, she understood, and that in her moment of trial, that's where she went. Mm. She grabbed onto that and clung to Christ which gave me a great sense of peace because, you know, that's always the rub is like in the Old Testament, you see plenty of times where David would be going through a horrible trial, but he always ran to God. He didn't run away from him. Mm. And a lot of times our natural instinct is to run away and be like, oh, you've done this to me. I'm going to shake my fist and that's it, you know, or just run in fear or whatever. But that was the thing is mom ran to that, and that gave me, and then two weeks later she died. Wow. But that night, and that's one reason, you know, Jared, who I do the other podcast with, he sat with me that night when my mom was in the hospital and when she died. So that's why we have a special connection because he was able to just be there with me, you know, and just we talked about sports, we talked about all kinds of things, and then, you know, would have time where we'd pray and everything. But, you know, when you're going through that stuff too, you can't just be praying the whole time, you know, because I knew this was the end. The doctors had pretty much told me that was the end, but so it was great just to have somebody there relationally to be with you. you yeah, know? he understood Yeah, he understood comfort or understands Absolutely. comfort. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I kind of veered into different places no, there. Oh, this is but. great. This is what the show's about. This is a very <laughs> yeah. deep story, man. Yeah. It's a deep yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. I, I really yeah. appreciate you sharing it. Oh, absolutely. It's my pleasure. I mean, what's extraordinary about it is like, this is the time for the next break, which is the <laughs> last great. break. There you go. There you go. Um, but... That's a really great place to stop, and we'll pick up from there on when we return. All right, we're back with the final segment with Dan Satchoff. Dan, you have told some really beautiful 
again, generous stories about, you know, the relationship to your mother and father and their passing. The thing that we haven't talked about is you becoming a dad, which I know how go. transformative that is. So Absolutely. Um, please start wherever you'd like to start in that experience. Well, all right. So you know what it is to have to have kids and to be a, a freelancer, if you will, and the fear and the insecurities that go with that. And sure. that's that's one of the things that, you know, people who I go to church with, a lot of times they'll find out I'm an actor and they'll be like, how do you do it? How do you, how do you not? Because, you know, they, they punch a clock or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, if, if nothing else, it's deep in my faith because... I got to trust that if it's even if it's not performing whatever it is God's going to provide and so it's a good exercise in my faith every day but when when I had kids it was very much that as like kind of trusting all right and my wife helped me with that cuz I think women are often better with saying ah it's going to work out it's going to be okay you know cuz if it were up to me I I probably wouldn't have kids still to this day cuz I'm so afraid <laughs> I honestly that's an interesting point I don't know how far we can extrapolate the gender thing but what I can tell you is I have yeah. the same experience my wife <laughs> my wife is that person in my yeah. life. She is a um, very hard worker, very yeah. successful professional in her own right, yeah. but she's just she's just much like more stable. And well, she, there's she wisdom has this, that we don't have yeah. because guys, it's just we're we're kind of all over the place. And I think, man, I thank God for my wife. So yeah, man. No, I mean, so I'm glad to hear that you have that yes. backbone in yeah. your in your relationship. And Absolutely. so so her faith and mm-hmm. her support has yeah. kept you encouraged you to keep having children and build Absolutely. a family that you wanted. Build a family. And we had an, an event uh, happen with our youngest, with Daisy. So when she was born, we thought, oh, great, we'll take all the kids in when we get the uh, you know, the ultrasound and do all that stuff. So we had the two other littler kids with us, and they did the ultrasound. And we had a guy who was a really good doctor but had no bedside manner. And as he proceeded to do this thing, he looked at us and said, well, there's something wrong with the heart. It's not developing right. Uh, okay, you're gonna have this problem. This problem might be retarded. Might have this. What? And I, I was like, well, huh? And so they were there with the little kids, kind of trying to do a fun. And our faces cut. But you're, you know, you got your kids there, so you can't completely fall to pieces. Cut to finding out later on that she had something called a balanced translocation. So that means genetic material chromosomes were switched. But a balanced translocation means that there's no added or missing genetic material in that switch. But they counseled us nonetheless, which they had to um, at this place. I think they're 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 forced to do that. You know, physicians, whatever governing entities that are involved there. But they counseled us that you know you might want to abort this child because here's all the a list of issues that that could have. I mean, things just like horrible, horrible defects and things that we were just like, oh my gosh. And my wife was pregnant, which you know that's never a good thing. When you've got the hormones going on, well, and this stuff. is a horrifying piece yeah. of information. It's to not receive. a nice revelation at all. No, I mean, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, yes, she's under more duress, but it wouldn't be yeah. good for either of you to receive right. that information. So I was hosting a show at the time on USA Network, and my my co-host Christine Blackburn, who I just love and was is one of my great friends, but she was there for me, one of the only people I told that day because I had to go straight from that experience to shooting. Wow. And it was a happy, hosty kind of, hey, everybody, welcome back. Kind of, and I felt I didn't feel like doing that at all that day. But she luckily was able to listen to me and keep it together and was so kind to me. Anyway, uh, we, we found out that there was a possibility there was going to be a, a major problem. And that's, for me, that's the moment when I knew my faith. And I'm so grateful that I had had the knowledge and had been 
studying and um, that God had reached through and grabbed me and revealed himself because there was a moment where Jill, she was really shaken and like, you know, even though she has a strong faith, she wasn't sure what to do about this. Mm -hmm. And the fact that abortion was even on the table, you know, she was struggling greatly, I was struggling greatly, and if you would have asked me that 15 years, 10 years even prior to that, I would have said, eh, we should probably be safe, maybe we don't have the baby, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm honest, that's what I would have said. Mm -hmm. But I knew that my faith had come uh, to a, a, a really good point when I had a moment of peace that just struck me when I was on that shoot that day, when I could sense that God was letting me know that regardless of what happened, he wouldn't give us anything we couldn't handle. Not saying that the baby was going to be okay. I wasn't convinced of that. I wasn't convinced of a healing. It was, But it was whatever we had. Even if the baby was cha- had challenges and whatever, we could deal with it. And mm-hmm. And that was such a sense of peace for me because I'd been just, you know, my head was spinning. And when I had that moment and I was able to go to Jill and say, you know, I think we're going to be fine. Let's just do the next indicated step and it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. And she was born and she was fine. And wow. she's she's great. But again, it wasn't the fact that it's not a gene, that God's a genie or a life coach that like, hey, everything turns out the way I want it. That's perfect. I, I mean, it's easy for me to say that now, but in that moment, I was I was okay going forward with, you know, continuing with that pregnancy and, and whatever we got. Any time we had with Daisy would be better than no time with her. Wow. So that was a, a moment where I just had, you know, a, a real good sense of peace, and I was so grateful for my faith, you know, because it it kind of, it, it changed, it was a life-changing kind of thing. Oh, I mean, it's extraordinary to go from trying to process the idea of maybe realistically having given up a child to now yeah. having this, one, to even have the child be healthy, and yeah. two, to even yeah. have a long-standing relationship with the child. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, once you have a child, how can you possibly imagine your life without it? Absolutely, and so, as we talk to her about that now, and she knows all about this stuff, you know, she's got a... And again, with your kids, you know, uh, our, our our pastor at our church has always, always said, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. So just because you have a faith doesn't mean that your kids are going to have that faith, and that's the way it should be. They should. That was one thing I loved about what my mom did. Is my mom always made a, a conscious effort not to get me baptized because she says I want you to be able to choose. And she didn't know this from scripture. She didn't know this from anything other than her gut. Was just like I want this choice to be yours, and that's the right choice. I think that's what we've done with our kids. If they choose, you didn't to, baptize your children. My son asked to be baptized, so we did that. But we waited until he asked us when he was I think he was sixteen, and the girls haven't asked. And I think they have a, a, a pretty strong faith, but you're never positive, you know. I mean, I've got a I've got a 17 and a 15 year old, so I don't know. And got and the story's not finished yet, so I don't know what the road's going to wow, be. Wow, interesting. But I, I I do know that if they're called, and if that is if that's what God has for them, that that's going to happen. And there's nothing I can do to stop that. That's an interesting phrase. God doesn't have any grandchildren. I, yeah, I like that phrase. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never heard that phrase. Yeah, so that's that's something that. Um, my pastor talks about it all the time, and and your pastor is Jared. And, uh, well, no, well, he's, Jared's he's an a associate pastor. pastor. But, yeah, David Haig is our senior pastor. Okay. Yeah, so it was just it's it's an interesting thing, and and because Daisy knows that story, she I think it's enriched her faith because we try to talk about real things with them and and how faith integrates with culture and how it how it should shape culture and how we should um, you know if you really mean it then there should be certain implications to that. You know, not that people don't fall short and make mistakes. We've my wife and I do it all the time and so do the kids, but 
but it's good in that we can engage that way and have some real conversations because I, I've seen some things recently, deconversion stories, people who, who don't have faith anymore and who don't don't believe, which is, you know, cool, but but a lot of times I see it coming from people who've been culturally Christian. Growing up, that's just all they knew. And they weren't asked, they weren't allowed to ask questions. They weren't allowed to challenge things. They weren't allowed to doubt and kind of have their own say. And more often than not, not always, but a lot of times I think that you're not doing anybody a service with that. You know, so that's been a good thing with our kids, I think, is that at least they've been able to have questions and we can talk about real stuff rather than be like, oh, we're never gonna mention that thing about the balance stones location. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, this is a good point to maybe one thing you talked about earlier, you, you, yeah. you referenced a little bit, was like that feeling of you don't want to be pushy. Yeah. I feel like you're talking a little bit about that right now in a sense, yeah. which is this was specific to your children, of course, like giving them a space, but also you're saying you're kind of what you were referencing is there's deconversion out there, which means that there's a, a sadness in you that you're mm-hmm. seeing people that yearn to have a faith, mm-hmm. but are losing it because they've never been given the right framework for it or were scarred from an earlier framework. A question I'm interested in is how people balance the missionary aspect sure. of Christianity. So you're trying to walk a fine line, yeah. right? I'm sure you're kind of radical in your community, even that you're not baptizing your children, right? Are you somewhat radical? Yeah, you know, it... it I mean, that, a, that seems kind of radical Yeah, when me. you're in a church, there's always going to be... The thing for me, Nick, is that there are... What I hate about the Christian community sometimes is that we're very quick to eat our own and say, you're not holding the line here on this. And like, we can't agree to disagree on some things that really aren't consequential matters. I mean, to me, I'll give somebody the benefit of the doubt. If they believe that Jesus was Messiah, he rose, he died, was a man, he rose from the dead. We're pretty good. I mean, I'm sure we're going to have some disagreements on some things, but there's not as many deal breakers as some people would have. And there are people who are just, there are people who look at me I'm sure, as an actor, who are like, how can you be in it? How can Mm. you do that? And it's like, well, okay. But, you know, that's also a reflection of, I would argue that people, if you want to engage people, if you want to engage culture, you also have to have an honest reflection of culture. That's where I find that so many Christian movies and Christian content, if you will, doesn't do anybody any favors because it polishes the turd that can be life sometimes to the point that it like makes it look so shiny and happy. And it's like, well, then that's not real, though. That's why people go to see that, and you're preaching to the choir, and other Christians will like that stuff. But anybody outside, and if, if you are a Christian, your mission should be, how do we reach... How do you reach the lost? Well, you got to tell compelling real stories, too. And I would say I would rather be part, like, I'm not a big fan of... There's some Christian movies that I've liked, but there are secular things that I think have much more redemptive value then, you know, the Book of Eli, Denzel Washington, one of my favorite movies, and it there's a lot, there's probably too much blood and killing and guts for a lot of Christians. But for me, I love it because the end story is very redemptive, you know? And Denzel, I think, is a great example of somebody who is a performer, who is a Christian, but he also isn't Pollyannish and will do whatever it takes to tell the best story. And hopefully, if he has some say in it, can work in some redemptive elements, but it's not not everything ends perfectly shiny and happy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's a rabbit trail. But I would say, yeah, probably some people think that's radical, but that's okay. Yeah, know? yeah. Do you feel a a sense of that missionary work in the yeah. way that you want to do it? Yeah, you know, the older I get, the more that's important to me, and so I try to find ways that I can engage organically and in an authentic way. To I don't want to go door to door. I don't want to go to a park and hand out tracks and say, hey. 
what have you done for Jesus lately? You know what I mean? That That's just, that's not my style. If somebody's doing that, good for them. If you're a traditional missionary and you're going to Haiti or you're going, we have, I have lots of friends who do work all over the world, and that's great too. But I see a mission field in front of me every day for people who, and and rather than hit them over the head with the Bible, what I'd rather do is live live my life the way that I feel like I'm, I'm called to live my life, and I'm grateful for every day that I have and for what God has done in my life, not just not not material things, but just th- that sense of peace that I told you about, that I've had so many moments like that as I felt God carrying me through trials. I want other people to, to have that opportunity. Why wouldn't I? And I wouldn't want to see anybody perish. I would want to see somebody have eternal life, right? So if you if you believe it, like I, I've spent some time around Penn Jillette before, because I've done magic and hung out backstage with him, and he, Penn's, Penn's an atheist, but Penn always has this great line. He says, I'm always pissed off at Christians who don't try to give me the gospel, because if you really believe it, mm-hmm. you're called to do that. So why aren't you doing that? And he sees hypocrisy there. I don't blame him. Mm. So that's that's true. But but my style is more kind of living my life and in the natural rhythms of life. If I come across somebody and I'm their friend, not because I want to convert them, but just because I want to be their friend, I want to love my neighbor. And then if I have an opportunity to share authentically my faith or they say, hey, I watched you go through this or whatever, and it was interesting how you handled that, why was that? And then I have a chance to speak into it honestly and say, hey, here's why. And do with it what you will, you know, but I'm not going to twist anybody's arm. But for me, that's a better, that's because if you're going to have a real relationship with somebody, it shouldn't be predicated on, okay, I'm a shark. And if you don't buy what I'm selling, I'm swimming on to the next, the next person. But that's one reason we started Christianese, right? Is so we could have... I was going to get to that. Yeah, that's So we could right. have a, a forum to talk about that stuff and agree to disagree with people and, and talk about real issues and walk away part friends and not have to agree in lockstep, because that's the other thing, too, is I think a lot of times people live in a vacuum in Christianity and they're like, well, if you don't agree with me, I'm going to stay behind these walls and I'm never going to talk to you. And it's like, okay, well, that's not good, right? You almost, it seems like you value your ambassadorship from the secular world to the Christian world a little bit. I mean, one of the things you talk about, it, it feels to me, by the way, Mission field is that a is that a is that a word? Like, sure, mission is, field or a mission mindset. Yeah, living your life on mission. That's one thing that you know. A mission that, field is that like a field of? It's like an area in front of you that you could work with. Right. right? Actually, you can bring your mission. Yeah, that you could say, to, "Hey, look, I see need here." And, yes. And, yes. Okay. Mission field. I, right, I, I right. caught that earlier, and I was like, "Mission field." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has a space right. a space kind of element. Yeah, exactly. To it, you know? There's an element of your mission field being out into the secular world to some right. extent, but there's which is the traditional sense of it. Sure. Or at least the non-Christian world. Sure, um, they might not be secular, but mm-hmm. like it seems like one thing you keep referencing, and certainly the way you present Christianese is that mm-hmm. you, there's no wavering in your faith. But you would like—I I don't want to put words in your mouth—but it feels like you sure. want them to have a slightly more a broader sense of an understanding and empathy, maybe, with the non-Christian world. I've heard you reference that a few times. Well, yeah, and I think that's something that I think everybody has unique gifts and are positioned uniquely to to do certain things, and I feel like because I'm in the arts, my wife's in the arts, we've... Like, I'll give you a perfect example, homosexuality. That's a a thing that the church really very often doesn't handle well. As somebody who has worked in this business for a long time, started out doing musical theater, a lot of my closest relationships in the world have been people who are gay. So does that scare me? Does that mean I'm not going to have a relationship with them because they're gay? Now, what I tell them honestly, and have I told people, do I think that's what God has for them, that it's, it's the best thing? 
I don't, but I also am not going to tell them what to do. And I would much rather talk rather than lead with, hey, let's talk about your homosexuality. I'd rather lead with, hey, who do you think Jesus was? You know, was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Or was he the Lord? And and then the other stuff have that developed from there. There's a there's a great gal that I, I really love, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who um, had been a, a lesbian feminist professor at uh, not not at Yale. I can't remember where it was. Anyway, at Ivy League school, and she came out of that. But she didn't come out of it because anybody came to her and said, "Hey, you got to stop being gay, and that's a sin." You know, it was because she fell in love with Jesus and realized, "Oh, wait, if I'm gonna, but if I am gonna live that, and that makes sense to me." Then, in order to live that life, and it changed her life. She, but it wasn't immersion therapy where for six weeks you're going to go through anti-gay camp, right? You know right. what I mean. So that that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, I, I would say that yes, I, I think there has to be more understanding. And I also for for my kids and for young people that I work with in the church, I want them to know. I talk to my daughter, and she will say things when she comes home from from a youth group or something, where somebody who means well, but they've never had any dealings with anybody outside their own circle, uh, or our, our own circle at church, and see like, well, you know, we can't think of something about, she said something about gay people as the enemy or something like that. And and to my daughter's credit, she's like, but, but they're not, we shouldn't say enemy, right? Because they're made in God's image if you believe what the Bible says is true. So they're not our enemy. You know what I mean? It's Again, it's that mindset. It's how you engage. Can I, right? so can a homosexual person be openly homosexual in like, for instance, your particular congregation? Would they feel, would they ultimately feel like accosted too much by other people around them? Because what you're saying is, I I catch your point. I I imagine it it rests on, you know, having a a heterosexual relationship that has children, right? Is is that still something that that anchors for you to some extent? But I would, Because I don't want to, I don't, I think what I want to be careful of is it's like, I I heard you say you have loving relationships with homosexual friends. Sure. And I totally hear that. Yeah, yeah. But you also were saying like, look, maybe there's, I might have certain, my own position on this. Yeah, yeah, might be separate. I wouldn't be openly critical of them. Right. But I have my own position that's separate. And I think I'm trying to make sure I understand what is your position that's separate. So my position would be that, um, yeah, if somebody is actively living a gay lifestyle, just like somebody who was married but is actively cheating on their wife all the time. I see. Both of those things, that would be inconsistent, but it's not because being gay is the worst sin there is. You know what I mean? It's because... It's not what God would have. Like, I think anything anybody does consistently that isn't reflective of what God would would have for you would be, again, not that that negates you being saved, to use a kind of a Christianese buzzword, but, but I think it's something you have to look at. It's just like if somebody is in any way living life that's not consistent with God's Word, then you have to say, like, that's the thing I would never lead, though, with saying... You're gay, so of course, you know. Of so you're, uh, but but I have plenty of friends who have all kinds of other issues who happen to be straight, but are, that are things that I'd be like, you know, after a while, then you probably couldn't call yourself a Christian, or maybe they wouldn't call themselves a Christian. But especially my problem gets to be when Christians. This is a great. I love that you asked this about if somebody gay came to our church. Good, good. This is such a huge thing because <clears throat> I I would I would actually welcome having gay gay people of all shapes and sizes come to our church. Now, here's the thing. They would be absolutely welcome, but they would probably hear things sometimes 
in God's Word, as you know, we have a, a great pastor who preaches out of the Bible, but they would probably hear things being like, oh, well, I don't know about, I don't know how, the, how I feel about that, but they would be welcomed, absolutely. Now, would there be some people who might freak out a little bit? Because we got a pretty big church, so I, I have to say maybe some people would, but I think overwhelmingly there would be a large number of people who'd be like, hey, great, glad you're here. I mean, there's a, there's a great church in Los Angeles, Reality LA, and Reality LA is because it's positioned uniquely in the center of the entertainment business. There's lots of people who go who are gay and whatever, and some people go and end up hearing that message and it resonates, and they are no longer actively living a gay lifestyle. It doesn't mean that they're not gay anymore. They still have desires and things, but they're not actively living that lifestyle. But there has been truth in what they've heard, and it's kind of transformed their lives. There's one guy who's got a book out now who's an art director who I just love because he doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat any of it, and he met somebody at a Starbucks... And they were people doing a Bible study from reality down in, I think, off of La Brea. And uh, he was like, what are you doing? Studying the Bible? And they're like, yeah, you want to come to church? And he was like, okay. <laughs> and he went. And all of a sudden, he started hearing things that made sense to him. And he's now a Christian. Hmm. Now, does that mean he doesn't still struggle with things? As Does that mean that guys who still don't st- struggle with lust, you know, if they're straight... Uh, absolutely not. I mean, there's we're all going to have things we struggle with, but again, it gets down to the message, who's Jesus to me? But I, I would welcome people. In fact, you know, Jared and I talk about it all the time. I would love to have people come, and they it might not be for them, and they might hear it, but at least they would hear what we believe and hear it, hear the straight scoop rather than, I think a lot of times, that's one reason we started Christianese, is to kind of clarify the straight scoop of what something is, not what somebody else has kind of spun it to be, because I think sometimes they have this idea in their head of like, well, here's what, here's what Christianity would say, you know? And some right, people do no. this, and it's, and it's wrong. I don't like that when somebody preaches in a way that is, uh, it's disrespectful, and it's, it's also uh, not meeting somebody where they're at. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I hate things like that. And there's been plenty of people who then preach against things like that, like Ted Haggard from Colorado, who was a mega church preacher and then was having a homosexual relationship and a crack Oh, addict, sure, you man, know? the hypocrisy right. stuff. So, and, and that stuff, you know, we have those conversations all the time on Christianese where people are like, well, I don't know, I see the hypocrisy. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I have to cop to that and say, yeah, because we're imperfect beings and we're not, but that's not representative of God, that's representative of man. That's what I would say. It seems like you like to get into the difficult conversations. Sure. On Christianese, for instance. Yeah. I, I think I saw that one of your episodes was about suicide. Yep. What are some of the other major things that you would think are Christians are not handling particularly well across the board or you feel are misinterpreted? And this mm-hmm. is sort of our final segment. Okay. Here's what I, I think I want to say, sure. which is that this is a pretty contentious issue, right? Oh, I yeah. mean, talking about homosexuality openly Absolutely. and to yeah. have, like, you're being, I understand your generosity in it, and I understand your care and I, yeah. and your sincerity and your love for your friends yeah. that are homosexuals or live homosexual lifestyles or how, however you describe it. Yeah. But nonetheless, you're admitting to your belief that God's Word doesn't necessarily see that as being the ultimately the the most wholesome way to live or i don't know what i don't want to put well, words in your mouth yeah, but, it's not but even, there's some criticism but there yeah. is a there is a denigration of homosexuality right you could yeah absolutely i mean you could you could make the case and again it's i'm trying to just be 
honest with you're like, being very honest yeah. and I want to be I want to oh, yeah. be fair to you oh sure no so and that is your, but your fair I would say because again it's nothing that if this were something that the book of Dan made up then I would be like okay I, I get it but like I'm if I'm going to be intellectually honest and say okay I'm a I'm a Bible believing Christian that thinks the Bible is the inerrant word of God which I, I do think that you know um then I, I would say there are there are certain things that yeah would would negate you being able to call yourself a Christian if that's part of the fruit of your life. But again, that wouldn't mean that I can't have relationship with somebody and that I wouldn't want to have relationship some with somebody. But I think it'd be disingenuous if I if I said if I said otherwise. And I know there's some people that hate that. And I get it. I totally get that. Yeah. But I would want It's interesting, yeah. right? This yeah. is an interesting yeah. and look, I yeah. just want to show I'm trying to show you my appreciation for your honesty yeah, yeah. here. And yeah, I hope yeah, that yeah. you're hearing it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think yeah. it's bold. I think it's just honest. It's it like you are saying, you are being intellectually honest about yeah. your point of view. You're not yeah. trying to skate around it. You're being right. also very generous. You're not being hateful, but right. there's no doubt that someone will hear this stuff. And oh, yeah. some some people will hear it and be like, that's not Absolutely. what I want to hear. That's not cool. I get it. And that's and I totally get that. And I respect it. And we could then agree to disagree. That's what I love about you and you, the fact you came on our podcast. Because yeah, there's things that we probably see differently and we we disagree faith-wise, but we can part friends. I think that's one of the horrible things that's happened in society in general, especially American society, is that we can't agree to disagree and part friends on something. Yeah. And and I, I, I hate that. And I hate that, that that it's it's come to that. I hate when people think that that if you're a Bible believing Christian that you're Westboro Baptist Church. People who I hate and have done horrible things in the name of of Christianity specifically to homosexuals, who, right. a group who's, by the way, protested our church and picketed our church. Mm. And so, yeah, those are things that that I hate. Um, but I also, I just welcome the conversation with people, and I wish we could, I wish we could talk about those things more, and again, not lead with, well, what's your sin? You know, because we all have... Right, I, and right. look, some people wouldn't subscribe to the fact that there is sin or the idea of sin, and I get that. But like with Christians, I think we have to be very careful about how we engage and being kind and being willing to hear somebody out and say, you know, I I disagree on that, but I I respect your I respect your position, but also to be honest enough to um, not be afraid to get out of your comfort zone, you know. And so, like I was thinking about gay weddings. Like I've often had people say, well. You know, a lot of people won't wouldn't go to a gay wedding. Well, I would if I had a friend who was getting married because to me it's about relationships. So if you cut off relationship, like we've had friends who say, well, what if your son's gay? What if your daughters turn out to be gay? I said, I would love them. I would tell them. I would be honest with them. I'd say, I, I don't think that's what God would have for you, but I'm not going to change that. And I love you, and I want to have relationship with you, and I want to have relationship with your partner. So I'm not going to, what am I going to do? You're my kid. I'm going to cut you off? No, of course I'm not going to do that because it's about relationship is everything there, right? And again, it gets back to this idea of people are made in God's image. So, well, does that mean gay people do? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah it does, Jasper. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, but I mean, that's 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 something that, you know, some of my friends and I talk about all the time. So now it, it might be a different thing if somebody claims to be a Christian and they're a Bible believing Christian and then they're getting married. Well, I don't know if I could go to that. I'd probably send a really nice gift 
and I'd send them a car, but I don't know because then that feels like I'd be endorsing something that I don't, you know what I mean? But if somebody, yeah, it's, it's, it's for you, it's about, it's a Christian identity. Boy, it's, it's kind of interesting, man. It's like you ultimately are kind of saying you just want people to own what they are. If you have a homosexual relationship, right, right. And you're not trying to get married in a church or something, you can support that because you're supporting them in their comfort of themselves. But if you went to a church that was maybe a pastor that would, or priest that would marry a right. gay couple, right? you wouldn't actually go to that because you would right. feel like that that's not the Christianity that you understand it to be. Yeah. And yeah. it's the violation of your Christian understanding more than it is the homosexuality almost in some sense. Right. And and to be honest, I've never been in that situation. So those of you who want to invite me, let's go ahead and try this out right now. But but I would say I, that's my thinking now, but I don't know, man. Yeah. I, and I look, I really appreciate yeah. you putting yourself on like kind of sure. putting yourself on the line in a way. I don't sure. I hate to yeah. say it like that, but you you're being open and honest about this. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate trying to have the discussion with you because I also, certainly, it's easy to demonize one side or the other, sure. to feel misunderstood. There, right. is, there is gray in the world, and we're trying to yeah. find where that gray is between us on this particular yes. issue, and I'm trying to understand it better. And, and all issues. And if we quit talking, then it doesn't make anything better. And I think that's one reason we appreciated you coming on our show, because yeah, and likewise. You, had, you were very honest, and we could have really good, deep conversations and... And disagree, but it was okay, you know. Yes. And, it, and it's not—it's not a deal breaker. I, I appreciate that. And and look, these are super difficult things. And it's easy for me to represent, like you know. Again, I talked about Rosaria Butterfield. Well, that's anecdotal. And but I would encourage anybody who listens to this read her book, My Trainwreck Conversion. It's really interesting. Even if you're if you're a homosexual and you want read read that read that book. It's just interesting. It may, if nothing else, give you insights into friends or colleagues or somebody you deal with who's a Christian to give you. You some understanding, and maybe they'll cut you some understanding. I certainly hope they they do, because I know people can be cruel in all kinds of things, whether it's race, gender, whatever it is, you know. Uh, and that's the other thing. If somebody were married, I would, you know, I would never take the position like, well, I'm not going to call that your spouse. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely, I'm going to honor what you. Just like if a transgender person came to me and said, you know, this is what this is what I'd like to be called. I want you to, you know get my pronouns correct. I, of course I would. I would say, yeah, what, I'll call you whatever you want to call it out of respect. You're not sure other people in the Christian community necessarily oh, would. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people probably wouldn't. And that's the other thing. That, that, and you know, this, this is where you're saying you're walking this line of ambassadorship between, or like I, I yeah. use the word ambassadorship, but it sounds no, like you're... that's good. I feel like that's what you're trying to do with well, Christian Well, sure, news. because I, I think, you know, what do you, what do you win if you... Um, I don't know. That's the other thing that we talk about in Christianese a lot is that people conflate religion and politics. So often people are like, well, if you're a Christian, then you have to be a conservative, um, or you have to be a Republican, or if you're a Democrat, you have to be a secular humanist or an atheist. Well, there are certainly people who fit in those boxes, but like that's one of the things we love about our show is that Jared is a screaming liberal hippie that I love to tease him about all the time, and <laughs> I tend to be much more conservative, not in everything, but in a, in a lot more things than, than he is, but we get along great, because what do we have that transcends all of that? Well, it's our faith in Christ. And so we want to demonstrate that you, you can, on a whole host of issues, 
there's no reason you shouldn't have a relationship with people. But again, if you start conflating, well, that's that's not my team here because it doesn't fit in the, the political box and the faith box. And like, that's the other thing I love that my pastor said when he first came to our church is God's not a Democrat or a Republican. And I was like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. You know, but it's so true. And it's it sounds like a simple thing. But it's a great thing, and we should always remember those kind of things. Anyway, again, I don't want to oversimplify stuff, but there are stories like Christopher Yuan from Moody Bible Institute who lived much of his life as a gay man and went to prison and had drug issues and all kinds of stuff and now is not living that life. Again, is he living a straight life? No, he's not. So it's not overly romanticized either, but I would say, you know... There are so many stories like that that I would encourage people, hey, read that just to see the other side. You may not agree with it. That's okay. But it it's interesting nonetheless, right? It's stimulating. That's why we like this platform. That's why we like podcasts. And I think people increasingly are liking that because you and I can have this discussion instead of a seven-minute soundbite where people are screaming at each other. Yeah, man, right? for sure. So, well, thank you, man. Thank you. This is great. Thanks, man. Uh, Thanks for being willing to... Oh Sit my down. gosh! This is—it's wonderful to uh, get to repay the favor you did to me by having me on your show, and and uh, I loved having you come down here. Thank you very much for absolutely. making the drive. Absolutely, and uh, all the way from Valencia. Oh <laughs> that's right. Gosh. You actually say that on Christianese, don't you? Like we're all the way from Valencia, <laughs> the dry hills of Valencia. That what <laughs> that's you right. The dry hills of um, Santa Clarita. Oh, so Santa Clarita. Yeah. Um, thanks for being here, man. Thanks, man. And thank you all for listening. You don't realize what Arby's meant to me. I, I, we talked about that we on We talked my show about a this bit. on Christianese. I but, almost never talk about this on my show. Well, not to say that we shouldn't, but I'm just saying I almost never bring it up because I I don't think to bring it up. But you loved Arby's I deeply. still to this day love Arby's. <laughs> I cannot tell you what Arby's has meant in my life. I wow. Love well, you told a story on um, on Christianese where you said you ate, didn't you? You said you challenged your father. Yeah, my dad. You, you, you made a bet. Yeah, my dad bet me that I couldn't oh, eat 15. And you ate 15. In a row. In a row. Yeah, without vomiting. After. And then he paid for the 15 and he gave you and he like, gave me 50 uh, bucks. and he gave you like the Heimlich or something. <laughs> he gave, yeah. He gave me the Heimlich and got the bun out of there <laughs> and a Jamocha shake that I, at that time I was young, Nicholas, I swallowed the whole shake in the cup. I right. didn't realize you drink it out of the cup. So yeah, the Heimlich luckily paid off. Well, this must have been pre-Weight Watchers. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's about 7,000 points right there. Jamocha shake. And how do you, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess. This is one of my interesting questions. Oh, sure. My interesting questions is yeah. not what I mean. <laughs> one question that I'm interested in. Yes, yeah, yeah. Is, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Welcome probably- back to an episode of My Interesting <laughs> Questions with Nick DiGusto, everybody. <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, uh, <laughs> what a, what a piece of shit podcast that would be. <laughs> um, no, uh, this, that, that section, this section, I think I'll put at the end as like an Easter egg. That, okay. that'll, that'll be a fun, that'll be a fun foible.